I am ready to share with you. Um, if you know uh, our first Wednesdays, normally on our first Wednesdays, we, we share one of our house habits. Uh, and we have 12 house habits here. And normally we talk about one of those house habits and uh, we, we have uh, 12 house habits. We live on, we love big, we protect unity, we honor consistently. These are things that we've been talking about every month leading up to this. Uh, we talk about we lean in, we grow intentionally, we embrace discipline. And uh, in this, this month, our house habit is we practice honesty. We practice honesty. And uh, if you were not here on Sunday, I just want to preface uh, this by saying that for the month of August, we are going to be having cultural conversations. We are going to have a dialogue about the racial divide that exists in our city, that exists in our country, and, and really the racial divide that exists all the way around the world. And so we're going to be speaking to these issues for the month of August. Now, every week it's going to look different. This week I'm, I'm just going to be sharing some thoughts, uh, but over the next few weeks we're going to have a panel uh, of discussion, uh, and so we'll have that panel. We'll have uh, my best friend Jelani Lewis, who's executive of pastor um, at Gateway Church, where uh, Pastor Robert Morris is the senior pastor. He's the executive pastor of their Frisco campus. He's going to come in and be with us, and I'll be interviewing him um, one of these uh, Wednesday nights. And so for, for all of the Wednesdays of August, we're going to be having these, these cultural conversations, dialoguing about our racial uh, divide uh, in, uh, in, in our city and in America. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to base this around the theme. You know, it's just so, uh, it's not ironic, it's God. It's God that put this on our heart for this time, not even really knowing what the house habit was. We said, this is what we felt like God wanted us to do in August. And we said, well, what is the house habit for August? And we looked it up, and it's we practice honesty. And it's like, wow, what an amazing time to have this conversation about the racial divide. What a great time to have this conversation whenever we're building the month around we practice honesty. And I say this all the time, uh, but I believe being honest with yourself is one of the hardest things that you will ever do in life. I believe that. I believe that one of the, one of the hardest things you will ever do in your life is just being honest with yourself. And because it's one of the hardest things that you will ever do, that's why many times we don't do it. Because it's so difficult to be flat level, honest with ourselves. And we, we even named the habit, we practice honesty because there's a twofold thing. Is one, we, we do believe in honesty and we practice it, but also honesty takes practice. Honesty takes practice. Being honest with yourself takes practice. Being honest with other people, it takes practice. It does not come natural. And uh, it, you know, it's so hard for some people to say that I have a problem. It's so hard for some people to say that we have a problem. Uh, you know, we, we'll talk with people in, in their marriage, and Destin and I will have the opportunity to, to, to visit with them. And, it, and, and it's like we, we get to this place where now everything is falling apart, and we're like, hey, why didn't you talk up like six months ago or six years ago? Why didn't you just say, hey, we are having a problem? Because it is never an issue that happened in the last two weeks. It is always something that has been developing over time. And so we say, why didn't you speak up and say, hey, I have a problem? Because we're not good at being honest about where we really are. 
And so whenever we come to, to an issue of race, sometimes it's hard for people. And if you go back, and, and I really encourage you, if you weren't here Sunday, I really encourage you to go back and listen to um, our message on Sunday because it will kind of uh, create a little backdrop from, from where this is all coming from. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, you, you listen to a message like that, and then sometimes if, you're not, if, you, if you haven't practiced honesty enough, you can actually say, oh, I don't really think we have a problem. I don't really think we have a race problem here in our city. I don't really think we have a race problem. If you haven't practiced honesty enough to say, you know what? No, we really do have a problem. We really do have a problem in our country. We really do have a problem right here in our city. And so I just want to give you a couple reasons tonight why we hesitate practicing honesty. Why we hesitate practicing honesty. Here's number one. is that honesty demands vulnerability. Honesty demands vulnerability. Uh, it involves you peeling off the layers, if you would, that life has created around you. Um, you know, just growing up, life can put layers around you. Life just has a way. Uh, life can put you in certain situations. Life can put you in cer- certain circumstances. Life can put you in certain cities. And so you just grow up in that city, and without even knowing it, there are layers built around you that truly have to come down in order for you to be vulnerable. But then there are other things that we put up uh, that, that life doesn't put up around us, but that we put up around ourselves. We put up walls around our heart to protect us. We put up walls around our heart because maybe we've been hurt so many times. And there are things that we put up in our life to say, no, I'm not going there anymore. No, I'm not going to think about that anymore. And we put up these walls. And so whenever you say honesty demands vulnerability, everybody wants to take a step back and say, well, I don't really want to be vulnerable. Well, if you don't want to be vulnerable, then you cannot be honest. And, and then you, you also have to get through the thing of, of people viewing vulnerability as a weakness. But vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability is actually the key to connection. If you are not vulnerable, we cannot connect. If you are not vulnerable about who you really are, then I don't know who you really are. If I'm not vulnerable about who I really am, then you don't know who I really am. And if you don't know who I really am and I don't know who you really are, then we have no connection. And you see, if we don't have any connection, then we don't have an understanding. And it's that it's the connection that we have that will ultimately produce the greatest strength in our relationship. But it all started with me being willing to be vulnerable, you being willing to be vulnerable. Then we had this connection, and out of that connection can come our strength. But so it all comes down to this, this concept of me being honest and honesty demanding me to be vulnerable about who I really am, about what I really think, about the way... I really feel about ways that I've been hurt, about preconceived ideas that I have. We have to be be willing to be vulnerable. Honesty demands vulnerability in two ways. The first is this, you must be vulnerable with others. That's your personal responsibility is that you must be vulnerable with others. Uh, But then the second way is this, is that you must allow other people to be vulnerable with you. Uh, Brene Brown, who is a a renowned uh, scientist and studies vulnerability and different things like this. This is what she said. I'm going to put this quote on the screen for you because I believe it will really help us tonight. She said, when we find the courage to share our experiences and the compassion to hear others tell their stories, we force shame out of hiding and end the silence. I want you to think about that just for a moment. When we find the courage to share our experiences, that is what I just said. You have a responsibility to be vulnerable. 
to share your experiences. You have, a, you have the right to, I mean, you, you have the responsibility to share your experience of, of being raised in, in a home that was racist. You, you'd have the, you, you can share that. You, you, can have a, you can have the right to share, hey, this, this, is how, this is how prejudice has affected me growing up. These are the things that I went through. And when we have the courage to be vulnerable and the courage to share our experiences, and then not just the courage to share, but the compassion to hear others tell their stories. It's not just enough for me to tell my story. I also have to have the compassion to hear you tell your story. And when we do both of those things, when we are working both sides of vulnerability, then what happens is, is, is here she's, she's specifically talking about shame. She says, then we force shame out. But you, you could take shame right there and you could mark it out and you could put racism. You, you could take shame out and you could put prejudice. You could take shame out and replace it because the principle works not just with shame. The principle works with all issues. Whenever I have the courage to speak up and the compassion to listen up, then I can drive whatever is hindering us, any issue, I can drive it out and I can end the silence. And you see, that's where issues thrive. Issues thrive in the silence. But whenever you bring issues out into the light and you have the courage to speak and you have the compassion to hear, then no longer can that issue hide in the dark. It comes out into the light and you end the silence of it and then you begin to get to a healing process. When someone is being vulnerable with you, um, uh, you, 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 you don't have to feel the need to defend yourself. When somebody's being vulnerable with you, that's not the time to feel like you have to overtake them. That's when you have to, uh, that's when you have to understand them. Okay, when somebody opens up their heart and they begin to share their experiences, they begin to share their thoughts, they begin to share their point of view. So many times we want to defend our point of view instead of just listening to their point of view. And we want to overtake them instead of just understand them. You have to understand, when we begin to talk about racial issues and we begin to talk about the racial divide, this isn't a debate, it's a discussion. And there are big differences because in a debate you are trying to be heard and in a discussion you are trying to hear. This is a big difference. It's a big difference when I'm focused on getting my point across for you to hear it and when I'm sitting back listening and trying to understand where you are coming from. You see, we need to seek more to understand than just, not to, be, than just to be understood. It's not about me just getting my point out there. That, that's what everybody, and we talked a little bit on Sunday, that's what everybody's trying to do on Facebook, right? Everybody just wants to get their point out there. And then you know what happens, then somebody, they, somebody comments, Right? <laughs> And then once that person comments, Facebook battle is on. Draw out the cavalry. You know what I mean? We're up there. We're like, game on. Let's, let's have it. And then it's like 97 comments in like two hours, you know, because everybody's firing off. Why? Because everybody's trying to be heard and nobody's trying to listen. But you see vulnerability and, and getting to an answer you have to have the courage to, to share your story, but then you have to have the compassion to listen. There are two conversations that I had Sunday morning um, after service. 
And, uh, and I don't want to share these two conversations with you. I believe they're really going to help you. Um, the first uh, conversation, and, and just to, once again, to give this some context, um, on Sunday we were talking about reconciliation and that reconcil- reconciliation starts with understanding and empathy. Uh, that that's where it starts. Reconciliation starts with a discussion. I must have a discussion with you because that's the only way that I can ever understand where you're coming from. It's the only way that I can ever have empathy for you. If I don't know your struggle and I don't know what you've been through, it's hard for me to have empathy for you. But once I hear your story, now all of a sudden I can have empathy for what you've, what you've, what you've gone through. And so it starts with discussion. But, but reconciliation starts with understanding and empathy. But it leads us to repentance, and I shared that on Sunday. And, and the, the whole process of, of us having discussion, of me having empathy uh, for you, you having empathy for me, us being able to get to a place of, of repentance. We want to get to repentance. Why? Why do we want to get to repentance? Because that's where healing and wholeness comes in. And that's where restoration comes. And at the end, that's where we're trying to get. We're trying to get to a place of healing and restoration so we can be whole, we can be complete, and we can move forward together in oneness and, and, and in community. And that's where we're really trying to get. But, but if, we do, if we do not get to, the, to, to repentance, then we don't get to healing. And so I was, I was just sharing the story of, 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 how, of how that happens and, and uh, how whenever somebody begins to share the story about how they, uh, how they, were, uh, um, how they were discriminated against. And, and although you may have never done anything ever in your life, that you can look at them and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you went through that. I am so sorry that somebody with, with my skin color said something like that to you. I am so sorry that you had to, that you had to endure that. So I shared that, that illustration and that example because that's what we're trying to get. We're trying to get to healing. We're trying to get to restoration, and there has to be repentance. And, and so I shared that story, and then and somebody called me after service in the foyer. And they said, uh, hey, Pastor, that was great. I'm just, I'm struggling with this whole issue of this repentance. I, I, I don't understand why I would say I'm sorry to somebody. And, and so they, they, walk, they, they start walking down this path. And they said that, I, you know, I just feel like, I, I just feel like if I said that I'm sorry, then, then I'm admitting that I am guilty. And then that person would think something about me. And I just said, stop right there. Stop right there. What's wrong with what you're saying right now? What's wrong? And he said, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. (laughs) And I said, everything that you're talking about is all about you. You're more concerned about you than you are the other person in the discussion. You're more concerned about how you feel and how you look than you are the other person that is hurting. How you are more than the other person that is being vulnerable. You just don't want to say, I'm sorry. And this was their response. That that happened on Sunday and then uh, yesterday, um, uh, this young man sent me this text. And he says, these are my thoughts since then. It's okay with me to say I'm sorry, even though I'm not the individual who did it. Saying I'm sorry isn't an admission of personal guilt. It's an acknowledgement of the problem that definitely does exist. And I am truly sorry that anyone has ever experienced the racism, prejudice, or injustice that they did. But here's the great thing. What happened out there in the foyer was a man was vulnerable. He was vulnerable. Say, Pastor, I've got a question about this. He took a risk because I could have looked at him and been like, 
What do you mean you don't get that, man? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? You don't understand this. No, no, that's not what I said. I just, I, I just began to speak to him right where he was. And because he was vulnerable, we were able to have conversation so that two days later, now a mindset that he, he could not see it two days, 48 hours later, now he says, now I see what you're saying. And not only do I see what you're saying, now I agree. This is the way that we need to respond. That was one story that, that happened. And what is that, what is that talking about? It's seeking to understand and not be understood. It's seeking not to be heard and to actually hear. There's the second story uh, that happened. This was right after, right after service, and I had gone back into to the back, and, and uh, uh, I've, I've got uh, three or four guys that, that serve uh, with me on, on Sundays, and, man, they just do every, everything around here, and, and you've seen a lot of them. They'll bring the podium out, and they'll move things around, and, and uh, uh, Joel and Austin and Brendan, and these guys are, are faithful, man. They, they serve every Sunday, every, every Wednesday, and so we go right back in the back, and we're talking about the sermon, and we're talking about what I've shared. And um, I shared this with the, the 5 p.m. service because it, it happened right after our 11.15 service. And, and um, uh, so we're sitting back there in the back. And, uh, and honestly, and, and Joel, tell you, I was back in the back, and I just, I just cried like a baby. I just went back there, and I just sobbed. Uh, and once I, once I finally stopped crying, um, I, w- I had Joel and uh, Austin there. And Brendan, and Brendan is from the Philippines, and his family moved to the United States 13 years ago. Um, Brendan serves uh, in uh, United States Air Force, and uh, and he's stationed here at Barksdale. And uh, and so whenever he was here, uh, we're all sitting back there in the back, and I, I I told Austin and Joel, I said, man, let me let me show you guys how this works. I said, Brendan, why don't why don't you tell me why don't you tell me your story? Why don't you tell me about how you've been discriminated against? Tell me your experience with, with racism right here in this city. Brendan has never told me anything. I, I, don't, I don't know. He's never shared a story with me. I'm not doing this for the benefit of Joel and the benefit of Austin. I'm doing this because I know that Brendan's been in the city for two years, and I know that somebody that doesn't look like me is going to probably experience racism within two years. I said, Brendan, tell us your story. Brendan starts crying like a baby, sobbing right, 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 right on the couch. And, and, and they're just, Joel and Austin are just sitting there. And then Brendan begins to tell them stories that have happened. Serving at Mardi Gras, handing out waters down at Mardi Gras. And he gets in a guy's way. He's, he's trying to bring him a water. And he gets in this guy's way. And this guy pushes him back and says, what are you doing down here? What, get out of my way. Can you even understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, you blankety blank, blank, blank? So he looks at these guys and he says, I didn't have a home in Shreveport, Bossier until I came to North Point Community Church. He said, I didn't have a refuge. I didn't, ha- I didn't have a place where I felt safe. I didn't have a place where I felt accepted. I didn't have a place. And he went on story after story in the movie theater. He went all of these stories, people that were saying things about him, making comments about him because he looks different than me. And so I look at Joel and Austin. I said, man, you guys come here because we're hanging out and it's fun. And you come here because you get to serve. I said, Brendan comes here every single Sunday because this is the only place that he feels safe. This is his refuge. This is the place that he comes because he feels like he's welcome here. This is the only place in this city that he feels safe and secure. And so when he comes on Sunday, he's not just coming to hang out and he's not just coming to serve. He's coming because this is the only place that he has in this city where he feels feels like he belongs. 
So I said, this is how you do this, guys. And Brennan's crying, sitting right across the table. And I said, Brennan, I'm, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry that somebody in the city that I was born in, I'm so sorry that they said that to you. I said, Brennan, look me in the eyes, man. I am so sorry that you had to go to bed that night. I'm so sorry that you've had to think about that moment hundreds of times since it happened. I am so sorry. And with tears running down his face, the only thing he says is, thank you, pastor. Thank you, pastor. Thank you for understanding. And thank you for welcoming me into this family. But see, he was willing to be vulnerable. We're willing to have a conversation. Because he had the courage to speak up about discrimination. He had, the, he had the courage to speak up about something that had happened to him. And we had, we had the compassion to listen, to listen to what hate spilled out of somebody, what, what, what prejudice spilled out of somebody, the nasty things that came out of somebody. And we had the compassion to sit there and listen, and we cried with him with tears in our eyes, and we repented, and God did something, not just in our heart, God did something in his heart. And I was talking to him today, and he said, Pastor, something happened. When I released that, whenever I said that, something happened to me on Sunday. I'm not the same. It's the power of being honest. It's the power of being vulnerable, of you sharing your story, of me having the compassion to listen so that we can drive this out, put it in the light so that it cannot hide anymore. See, in that moment, I was not concerned with Brendan thinking that I was a racist. In that moment, I wasn't concerned with Brendan thinking about, well, well, if pastor apologizes, is, is he? No, I just met him where he was. He was hurting and he was broken. And in that moment, I came to his level of vulnerability. And the only thing I could do was to say, I'm so sorry that that happened. I'm not accepting personal guilt. It's not that I said it to him, nor have I ever said anything like that to anybody in my life. But I can still be sorry that he had to endure it. Why? Because it's not about me. It's all about him and it's about him being whole and him being healed and him being strong and him being complete and whenever we come together with courage and compassion that's what God does it's a miracle but we have to be willing to be vulnerable we see a beautiful picture of vulnerability in Matthew 26 Verses 21 and 22, this is Jesus, and they're, they're eating the last, Jesus is eating the last supper there with his disciples. And it says this, as they were eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful. They, the collective group, they were all very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Am I the one? Am I the one that's going to betray you? Is it it me? Is what you're talking about right now, is is it in me? Is this betrayal in me? Is this rebellion in me? You see, the greatest thing that you could ever do when you hear a message like this is say, is it I, Lord? Is it me? 
Is there prejudice in me? Is there wrong thinking in me? God, is it, is it I? I'm not saying that we're not sitting at the table. These were all 12 of his disciples. They were all sitting with Jesus, but yet they still have the, the place of vulnerability to say, uh, am, am I the one that you're talking about right now? Because I don't want it to be me. I don't want it to be me. I don't want to be the one with this issue. I don't want to be the one with this problem. Is it me? And then you can begin to check your own heart. And the only way you can truly check your heart is if you are what? Honest. Honest. But is it me? Do I have a problem? Is it, is it I, Lord? Here's the, here's the second reason that we, that we hesitate practicing honesty. And that is that honesty displays vulgarity. And I didn't use the word vulgarity just because it's a V. Well, kind of. But, but vulgarity is such a vulgar word. And you see, that's the way you have to see sin. You have to see sin as vulgar. You, you have to see sin as, as filthy. You have to see it as, as foul. You have to see it as gross and, and honesty reveals that part of us that we did not wish was there. It reveals that part of us that we wish would just go away. Honesty reveals that vulgar side of our thinking, that vulgar side of our attitude, that vulgar side of our mentality, that vulgar side of our word. It reveals these things. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to be honest because I don't want my honesty to reveal the magnitude of my vulgarity. So it's better if I'm just not honest and I don't have to deal with it. And so many times we have, a diff we have difficulty being honest with others because the, the truth is that we have, an on we have a difficult time being honest with ourselves and ultimately being even honest with God. Because we can't be honest about our own failures. We can't be honest about our own sin. We can't be honest about our own shortcoming. We, we can't be honest about those things. We can't handle the vulgarity. And so what do we do? We resist the vulnerability. Because I can't handle the vulgarity. I can't handle my failure. I can't handle admitting that I am as big of a sinner as I am. I can't handle that. And so because of that, I don't want to be honest because I know that following vulnerability will be, begin to reveal my vulgarity. And so I don't want to be honest. I don't want to be vulnerable because I don't want to have to deal with my own sin problem. But if we could just be honest, we all have issues. Why, why are we surprised? Why, why do we not want anybody to know about our vulgarity because the person sitting next to you is vulgar. If you knew what that person had thought over the last month, you wouldn't be sitting next to them. If you knew what I had said in my mind to people, you wouldn't be coming to North Point Community Church. We all have issues. We all fail. And why is it surprised? The, God put it in the Bible. Romans 3, 23 says we have all fallen short. All includes everybody in the room. It includes everybody on the planet. All means all. We have all fallen short. We have all missed the mark. We have all messed up. We have all thought things and said things and done things that we should have never thought, never said, and never done. We are all vulgar. 
And it's okay to have issues, but it's not okay to hide your issues. Join the crowd. I've got issues. Yay. Welcome to the honesty club. Because here's the truth. Everybody knows you have them anyway. They just don't know what they are. You think people are going to be so disappointed whenever you share your sin and everybody's like, oh, man, I'm so glad that you mess up sometimes too. You're like, oh, wait a minute, that's, it's a good thing. Oh, okay, I, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Because you're, we're so hesitant to be vulnerable because we don't want to feel the vulgarity. This is what, the way Jesus dealt with that in, in Luke chapter 7. It says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Pharisee just messed up because Jesus was more than a prophet. He was also the Savior. And he knew exactly who was touching him, but he knew why he came. He came for her. Because she is a sinner. He identified her as a sinner. Skipping down to verse 44, it says, Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, the Pharisee, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off of my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Now here is the irony. This is... The conundrum. Nobody has been forgiven little. Nobody has been forgiven little. Jesus is not saying this as teaching a principle that the person that's been forgiven a little loves little and the person that has been forgiven much loves much. He's using this as a principle to say there is nobody that has been forgiven little. Everybody's been forgiven much. Because everybody's vulgar, everybody's sinful, everybody has missed the mark. There is no such thing as just been, forgiving, been forgiven little. Nobody. There's only people that feel like they've been forgiven little. There's only people that feel like they're better than other people. And that they don't need as much forgiveness for their sin as she needed for her sin. Jesus comes to expel the myth and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, big boy. You're missing the whole picture. She's a sinner 
but she's forgiven. You don't even realize that you need what I'm offering. See, some of the most, some of the most racist, prejudiced, hateful people truly believe that they haven't needed much forgiveness, therefore they have very little love to offer. Because they feel like they're pretty good. They feel like they have done a good job. They feel like they have earned grace. They feel like they have put themselves in a great position. And because of that, they don't have the capacity to love because they never fully understood the capacity of their sin. They don't have the magnitude of love that God created us to live with because they haven't admitted the magnitude of the sin that is inside of them. I want you to to write this down. And we're going to bring this to a close tonight. The more vulgar you see your sin, the more victorious you see your Savior. The more vulgar you see your sin, the more gross the more nasty, the more foul, the more vulgar you see your sin, the more victorious you have to see your Savior because your Savior is the one who has forgiven the magnitude of your sin. So if your sin is big, then his grace has to be big. And if your sin is big, then his love has to be big. And if your sin is so big and it is so vulgar and it is so nasty, then his grace has to be so amazing and so huge and so over-encompassing. It has to be greater than anything you've ever done, anything you've ever seen anything you've ever said. It's got to be bigger. And so the bigger your sin is in your eyes, then the bigger his grace and his love can be in your eyes. So, so it's, the, it, it, it's this thing of seeing the vulgarity of your sin. The more vulgar you see your sin, the more victorious you see your Savior, and the more valuable you see your neighbor. The more victorious you see your Savior, but the more valuable you see your neighbor. You see, it allows me, it gives me the capacity to love. Whenever I realized that my sin was so big, whenever I realized that I'm not the Pharisee, but I am that immoral woman, I am the, I am the woman who has done things that I wish I wouldn't have done, said things I wish I wouldn't have said, sin controlled me, sin ruled me, sin dominated me. I am of a sinful nature, and I needed God's amazing grace and his love. I know the magnitude of my sin, But the victory of Jesus Christ, when he came up out of the grave as a conquering king and he looked at all of my sin and he said, I'm going to forgive every one of those sins and I'm going to wash you white as snow and I'm going to make you a brand new person and I'm going to write your name in the Lamb's book of life and I am giving you eternity and I'm going to give you mercy that's brand new every morning. I'm going to give you grace that covers every one of your flaws. I'm going to give you hope for every hopeless season of life. I'm going to just keep on pouring myself out on you. You see, that's when you realize the victory that's in the Savior. And it's only when you realize the victory in the Savior that you get to fully understand and to walk into the value of your neighbor. Because whenever I realize that's how much he loved me, now all of a sudden, I feel compelled to love you. I feel compelled to love you the same way that he loved me. And if I feel like that he just, he didn't really have to do that much to forgive me, 
And whenever it comes time for me to have to love you, you didn't have to do that much for me, so I don't have to do that much for you. Don't be afraid to be honest about the vulgarity of your sin. Can I just tell you that it's okay today? If, if you've had prejudice in your heart, if you have said racist things out of your mouth, can I tell you that that's okay? That's okay. It's okay. Because the same Jesus that forgave every one of my sins, he'll forgive that too. The same Jesus that made me new, that regenerated me, that forgave me, he's the same one that will do that for you as well. So it's okay for you to get to the place where you can be honest about the vulgarity of your sin. Why? Because you want to love people. And you can't love people if you're not honest about your sin. You can't really care for people if you're not honest about the magnitude of your sin. And you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as holy as you think you are. And you're not as righteous as you think you are. And you need grace more than you even know you need it. But the bigger your sin gets, the bigger his grace gets. And the bigger his grace gets, the bigger capacity you have to love other people. If you have a hard time loving people that are different than you, if you're white and you have a hard time loving black people, or you're black and you have a hard time loving white people, loving Hispanic people, loving Asian people, loving anybody, loving anybody that's different than you, if you have a difficult time the best way to begin to do that is to start realizing how messed up you are. It's the best way. It's the best way. The best way of loving people is to realize how much love you need from God. You know, I'm so, I'm so grateful that the Bible says that God so loved the world. It doesn't say that God so loved his own people, Israel. You know, this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to go ahead and go there and say it because destiny's not here. Gets, it really gets on my nerves how, how white people can be so arrogant. really gets on my nerves how they can be so arrogant. To feel like the gospel is theirs. The gospel is theirs. Like it belongs to them. Because they are Western and they brought the gospel on the pilgrim ships over here to America. And they feel like it's theirs. Your savior isn't white. <laughs> Don't be shocked. you get to heaven and you look at Jesus you think wow you look like you're from the Middle East <laughs> can I tell you if, if you're not Jewish you were grafted into God's family by grace you were grafted in by grace God had to go out of his way to let you into his family. 
So why would we walk around arrogant? Like we are the carriers of the gospel. Like we are the ones that have, like Jesus was white. Jesus wasn't white. He was Middle Eastern. And it was by God's grace today that you can stand and say, Jesus is my savior because God extended grace to you. So let's not be afraid of honesty. Let's not be afraid of honesty demanding vulnerability. I've got an assignment for you this week. We'll give you a couple weeks so you can build up the courage for it. I've got an assignment for you. Sitting down with somebody who is not your skin color and asking them about their story. Ask them about their perspective. Because it'll change you. There are people sitting in this room to drink out of a certain water fountain because of the color of their skin. They're sitting here, this not 200 years ago, they're sitting right here next to you. And they had to sit in the back of the bus because of a different color of skin. And they're sitting right here among us. And I would challenge you Sit down with somebody that's different than you. Say, I want to hear your story. Tell me about your family. Tell me about the things that your mom and dad went through. I want to hear about that. I challenge you to sit there and listen. I'm not like that. You know, I'm not right. No, you just listen. If you're white, you just listen. And you want to cry, cry. You want to look them in the eye and say, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Courage to speak. The compassion to listen. It'll drive racism out. The compassion to listen, the courage to speak. It'll drive prejudice out because we bring it into the light. It can't hide in the darkness anymore when you bring it into the light. When you begin to talk about it and you begin to discuss it and you begin to work through it and you begin to process it, it cannot hide anymore because we're forcing it into the light. And everything that is forced into the light of God, whenever it gets into the light of God, God begins to help us deal with it. And he makes us all stronger and he makes us all better starts whenever we're willing to be vulnerable, be honest. Honesty demands vulnerability and honesty, honesty not only demands vulnerability, but then honesty is going to cause you to display your vulgarity. 
some things inside of you. Some things inside of you you can be honest about. If you're black and you're racist against white people, it's okay. You say it. You say it. It was hurt so many times. It was raised in the house. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Share. Share. It's vulgar. Yeah, it's not good. You know it's not good. I know it's not good. But talk, talk about it. Talk about it. Why? Because we're interested in meeting each other right where they are. Because that's where healing happens. And that's where hope happens. And when I meet you right where you are with all of your fears, I meet you right where you are with all of your questions. I meet you right where you are with all of your concerns. I meet you right there where you are with all of your anger. And I meet you right there in that place. And that connection takes place. When that connection happens, man, now we're going somewhere. See, this is a a dialogue. I told you Sunday, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't a one night. I have a whole bunch of more notes in there that I was going to share and we are going to end like a real positive note. Because the Bible does have answers. The Bible does have answers. And at the end of the day, this is what we are. We are people of the book. We are people of the book. And whenever we take today's problems, there are answers in the book. And that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks. We're going to look at today's problems. And we're going to talk about the problems. We're going to keep on discussing the problems. If, you're, if you were a little uncomfortable tonight, you'll be a little uncomfortable next week. And you just keep on coming back. And, and, and if, you're, if you're there, we're going to keep talking about the issues. We're going to keep talking about the problems. And how do we deal with the real problems? Because we, we can't just go, like I said, Sonny, you can't just go and pray. And you can't just quote scripture over it. No, no, you have to take the scripture out of here and you have to bring them to the issues. You have to take the scriptures out of here and you have to bring them to the problems. You have to take the scripture over here and you have to bring them to the mindsets. You take the scripture over here and you bring it to the pain. You take the scripture over here and you bring it to the issues and the problems. You have to go to the scripture because that's where the answers are and we are kingdom people. At the end of the day, we aren't white, we aren't black, we aren't brown, we aren't red, we aren't yellow, we're not polka dot, we're not anything. At the end of the day, we are God's creation. That's what we are. Amen. 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 Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? (laughs) Say this last thing as we pray and then we go out to see the baptism. Can I I tell you where where vulnerability and vulgarity, where it really comes from? It really comes from fear. It really comes from fear. I'm afraid to be vulnerable. That's where you're going to think about me. I'm afraid for you to know my vulgarity because what you're really going to think about me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I know that the Word of God says that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of timidity, but there really is a spirit of fear. You know that. There's a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of fear that doesn't want to make you, that, that, that wants you to keep yourself from being vulnerable. You need to know that's a real thing. There is a spirit of fear. It's real. It's a reality. 
There is a spirit of timidity that will come on you and try to keep the vulgarity inside of you and say, you don't need to talk to anybody about that. You don't need to open up about that. But that's why James says, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. Because the spirit of fear comes to hold you back and to hold you down. But God said, I didn't give you that spirit. That spirit came from the enemy because he knows the power that's in vulnerability. And he knows the power that's in you confessing your vulgarity. And when you begin to do those things, then the spirit of power begins to move. And the spirit of love begins to move. And the spirit of self-discipline begins to move. And that's when things begin to change. And so the spirit of fear comes in your life to keep you quiet keep you from sitting across the table saying hey tell me about your story what do you think about what's going on in America right now I want to know your perspective when you see when you see another black person shot what, what, do, you, what do you think because I know what I think and that's not doing me any good I got to know what you think I gotta know what you, what do you think when a police officer dies? I gotta know. I gotta know what Mitchell thinks. Because that's gonna open my eyes, give me another perspective, give us a connection point, and now we can begin to work somewhere to healing and wholeness and health and hope. Amen. That's what I challenge you to do. Don't let the spirit of fear come on you. Don't let the spirit of timidity come on you. You operate in the spirit that God told you you had. And that's the spirit of power, which there's courage in the power of God. He said, you got a spirit of love. You got a spirit of love that will drive out every spirit of fear. You can love, you can love anybody and everybody. Why? Because God gave you the ability to do it. And then he gave you a self-discipline, the spirit of self-discipline. So whenever you say, I'm going to do it, you can actually follow through with it and not say, oh, I'm going to do what Pastor said. And then a month from now, you still haven't talked to anybody. No, you got the spirit of self-discipline. So you can be vulnerable. You can share your sin with other people so that you might be healed, so that we might be healed. You see, this is just the beginning. God's going to do so many great things over these next few weeks. This is, this is a discussion. This is a conversation that we're having. And I believe God's going to do so many great things. Amen? Come on. You know what? We don't normally do this, but this is what I want to do. I want you to grab hands with that person next to you. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were encouraged by the Word of God. If you'd like more information on North Point Community Church, you can find us online at www.northpoint.ccpeople.com.